Thank you, Grace Singers. That was awesome. Praise God, we can sing to Him and pray and worship Him with our voices. And praise God that we can worship Him as we hear the Word of God. And so open your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 5 and stand with me for God's Word. It should come as no surprise that we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken. You have spoken truth we need and that this truth is found in your written word. We pray, Lord, once again that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word this day. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive what you have for us. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would cause us to open our lives to you in, in new ways so that we would be more yielded to you. And we pray, Lord, that it would be all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to consider with me today how a delight... In God's truth brings God's blessing. How God's word is profitable, valuable, beneficial, and how God rewards those who delight in it. What you delight in shapes you, it molds you, it marks you. I'll tell you what I delight in. I delight in anything made with garlic in it. I delight in a good piece of salmon. I delight in music made by you too. A good Lakers game. UCLA football. And getting a good deal. It's true. I also delight in fishing. Bike rides with my kids. I delight in walking. It used to be running, now it's walking. On a deeper level, I delight in my wife and five kids. I delight in all generations worshiping together and in households reading the word of God and praying together daily. I delight in preaching God's word. On the deepest level, I delight in God Almighty, in communication with God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
I delight in Jesus Christ, my Savior. I delight in the Word of God. What you delight in preeminently, prominently becomes what you focus your energies upon. Over-delighting in some things can really mess you up, can ruin you. But there is something you cannot over-delight in, trusting God and what He says. You cannot over-delight in trusting God and what He says. We're living in a time of crisis. Our country is in crisis. There is a financial burden. Banks, automakers, Wall Street, uh, public and private, it is touching every sector. But there is a foundational crisis that has been going on since the fall of man. It is a crisis of faith. It is a crisis of belief. Will we trust in our own understanding or will we acknowledge God's? Will we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding? Will we believe that God is sovereign and his word is authoritative and sufficient or not? We're going to believe someone's story. We're going to believe someone's story. Pundits will tell you that you are wrong to put your trust in man and they'll they'll point you to another man to put your trust in. What if it was all going gangbusters? Is there any less folly in trusting man in that atmosphere? So we get things backwards. We, we trust in times of hardship. We rejoice when things go well. When God wants us to trust him and rejoice in all things at all times. Psalm 20 and verse 7 give an answer for this foundational problem. Psalm 20 and verse 7. The psalmist says this, Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. You fill in the blanks. In those days it was chariots and horses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we, the people of God, we will boast, make mention of, praise the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. We will trust God. Isaiah 31.1 says pretty much the same thing. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Code word in the Bible for trusting man and not God. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. And rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. They do not look to Him. They do not believe in Him. They do not trust in Him. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. But our hope is in Him. Psalm 16 and verse 1, the psalmist cries out, Preserve me, O God. I'm in trouble. I need you. Preserve me, O God. For in you I put my trust. In you I put my trust. When the armies of Moab and Ammon came to make war against Jehoshaphat, he gathered all the people to seek God's help. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12, he prays and says, O Lord, 
We have no power. We're weak. We need you. Lord, we have no power against this great multitude that has come up against us. Nor do we know what to do. And then he says this, but our eyes are on you. We trust you. Most of us are just trying to survive the current crisis. Trying to stay afloat. Trying to keep our heads above water. But I believe that God wants us to not only survive this and every crisis, but to thrive in the midst of it. Be it financial, relational, emotional, physical, you name it. By a deep, abiding trust in Jesus. A deep, abiding trust in Jesus. Now, we don't trust God in a vacuum. But in context with his communication to mankind through his word. And so it's the idea of clinging to him and his truth that breeds trust. Based upon what he has to say to us in his word. Based on objective truth versus subjective feelings. And you know where those can lead us. We look to him though. We look to him and his objective truth. We listen to him as he speaks his word. As he speaks through his word. The psalmist in Psalm 143 and verse 8 said this. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Cause me to hear what you have to say. To hear your word. For in you do I trust. And then he asks, cause me to know the way in which I should walk. He knows, would know the way in which he should walk as he takes that lamp unto his feet and light unto his path. The very word of God. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. And then he says, I lift up my soul to you. I lift up my soul to you. I trust you. We see it in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. It says this. We have obtained an inheritance. Speaking of those who have come to faith in Christ. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. And verse 13, In Him, after also listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Did you catch that? According to the counsel of his will, his will as revealed in the word of God, trusted in Christ after you heard the word of truth, the gospel. Having believed, there it is, faith and belief and trust in God and what he has to say. Based on God's objective truth in his word. Now you know we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount now since the beginning of the year. And the basic gist of the Sermon on the Mount so far is this. Because Christ's followers are changed by Jesus, they are different. That's the Beatitudes. That's the Beatitudes. They are then influential in the world. That's salt and light, being salt and light. 
And it's all based on what God has to say in his word, as we have seen in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18 so far. See, we've been focused the the past few weeks on God's revelation, God's communication, and mankind's response. Mankind's response to God's communication. And what it means to be people responding to God's revelation. We saw that Jesus' view of Scripture is the highest imaginable. He has the highest possible view of Scripture. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, Do not think, because there were some who were thinking that, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. To fulfill. Jesus was acknowledging Scripture's authority. That all the words are God's words. And that disobeying or not believing any part of Scripture means disobeying or not believing God. And he was also acknowledging Scripture's sufficiency. That the Bible contains all the words of God that he intended for us to have for salvation and growth. Everything we need to trust and obey him. We learn that the Old Testament finds its completion in Christ. That Christ both clarified and completed God's intent and meaning in giving his word. In verse 18 of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is affirming the full inspiration of the written text. It is inspired, breathed out by God. It is inerrant, 100% true in everything it affirms in its original manuscripts. It is never wrong. It is infallible. The Bible will never mislead you. The Bible will never mislead you. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5.19, Whoever annuls one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus came not to abolish, he didn't come to destroy, but to complete or fulfill His word, and because not one jot or dot will pass from the law until all is fulfilled, that everything God promised to happen will happen. Therefore, God makes a value judgment on those who respond either positively or negatively to His word. God makes a value judgment on those who either obey or disobey His word. Negatively, The word is annul. It literally means to untie, to relax, to to loosen its hold on our conscience. And we know that nothing can bind someone's conscience but the word of God. To relax it, to untie it, to loosen its hold on our conscience, to, to negate its authority in our life, to make it of no effect. To say the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore. If we trivialize it rather than taking it seriously, this is offensive to God. 
Jesus' followers, to be sure, were not to try and earn right standing with God through a mechanical obedience to rules and regulations. But on the other hand, neither were they to think that the law was imperfect or of no value to them anymore. Paul said to Timothy, the law is good. 1 Timothy 1.8, the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. To only keep part of the law was not a lawful use of it. Jesus says one of the least of these commands, to disregard a least command in the law in obedience or teaching, is to demote oneself into a least subject in the kingdom of heaven. The law revealed the meaning of loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And no matter how small it is, if it is a command of God the King, it's important. It's important. Positively, it means the word is keep. Keep, it's a verb, which means to listen, learn, and live by it. It it means to obey. It's personal obedience, personal understanding. It's being a doer of the word. Interestingly, the same Greek word is used in James chapter 1, verse 22. In noun form, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. But greatness in the kingdom of God is dependent on our response to the word of God. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. If you keep and teach the word of God, you are serving those for whom Christ died. means to obey. Great in the kingdom. It's for those who are faithful in obeying and teaching the whole counsel of God. It's measured by conformity to his word. Obedience is a mark of kingdom association. D.A. Carson wrote that the entire law and prophets are not scrapped at Jesus' coming, but fulfilled. Therefore, the commandments of these scriptures, even the least of them, must be practiced. But... The nature of the practicing has already been affected by Matthew 5, 17 and 18. The law pointed forward to Jesus and his teaching. So it is properly obeyed by conforming to his word. God rewards those who delight in listening to and obeying God's word. As we will see, as we keep going through the Sermon on the Mount, reward is a key word in this sermon. God rewards those who delight in listening to and obeying his word. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear these words of mine and do them. To experience the profitability of God's word, you must respond positively to it. To experience the profitability of God's word, you must respond positively to it. To keep it, to teach it, highlights the necessity that we resolve to be people of the book. Capital B, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. If you believe that God's revelation to mankind through his written word is the sole rule for faith and practice, that it is authoritative and sufficient and inspired and inerrant and infallible. If you believe that, where should you go with that? 
Where should you go with that belief? To the law and the prophets. To the word of God. Let me give you three resolutions for Bible-believing Christians. Three resolutions for Bible-believing Christians. May we be resolute in these things, determined to be and to do what God wants us to be and do. First, let it be resolved that we will go to the Word daily. That we will go to the Word of God daily for the fresh bread that God wants to give us. And I am talking about knowing what the Word says and then understanding what it means. You cannot understand what it means unless you know what it says. It's the idea of being exposed to the Word of God. Whoever does this is in league with those who throughout history have believed and obeyed God's truth. People like Ezra. In fact, go to Ezra chapter 7 with me. Ezra is a, is a neglected book in the Bible. Nehemiah gets all the attention. But I want to point out one verse in Ezra. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra 7 and verse 10. We'll see what Ezra did. Ezra the scribe. Ezra 7 and verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart, he had decided, he had resolved, Ezra set his heart to study the law of God, to seek it, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra set his heart to study the word of God, to know it, and then not just to know it, but to live it, to practice it, and then to teach it to others. In and of itself, it is significant, but in context, even more so. God's people, in terms of context of Ezra, God's people were in exile. His word had been forgotten. God, though, brought about by his own hand and by his word a restoration for his people. A blessing through his own hand and his own word. The people returned to Jerusalem. They reinstituted the sacrifices. They restored and rebuilt the temple. And God's word was restored to the people. God's word was restored to the people. And God's word did its work among them. God's word exposed the sins of the people. And they responded favorably. They responded Positively, they turned back to God. Being like Ezra, who studied the Word of God, who, who set his heart to study the Word of God, who decided, who was resolute, who was determined. It leads us to being informed and to interpret the Word of God accurately you can't interpret the word of god unless you know what it says second timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 the theme verse of awana which means approved workmen are not ashamed be diligent to study to present yourself approved unto god 
A-U-G, a, an agree, a degree that we would all do well to seek. A workman not ashamed, accurately handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. God's word of truth. You can't interpret it unless you know it. In, in the book Playing with Fire, Walt Russell says you need to know a, a couple things if you're going to do this work. This is hard work. For some, it's hard just opening up a Bible and reading it. He says that uh, you need to know its genre. What, what are you dealing with here? Is it, is it history? Is it narrative? Is it poetry? What is it? You need to know the big idea. What is God getting at? What is the main point? You need to make observations. In our staff meeting every Wednesday, we open up the Bible, we read some verses, and we make observations. We observe. What is it saying? Not what does it mean to us yet, but what is it saying? To make observations on the text. And then he says you need to interpret the meaning. God didn't mean 50 different things when he spoke each verse. He had an intent, and it was in context. And then you need to apply it to your life. You don't want just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Knowledge for the sake of living. On the back of your sermon notes today, I I put a a page called Profit Page that I put together several years ago, which it, it could be a good place for you to start with knowing and digesting just simply what the Word of God says. Just what it says. To pray and then read and observe and then focus on the passage and integrate it, apply it into your life and then, and then tell others about what you're learning. God's word, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, is profitable. Profitable. It is useful. It is valuable. It is beneficial. It is sufficient for the task. It is not just one resource among many. It is the source of objective truth. The word of God. God's word is profitable for for teaching, for our doctrine, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness that we would be adequate, that we would be fully loaded, equipped for every good work that God intends for us to do. Greatness in the kingdom of God is for those who obey and teach the whole counsel of God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathers the Ephesian elders And he gives them a message. And he says, I want you to know, and you already know this, that I did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. He says, I I taught you from, from home to home and in public. The things that he was teaching them were not just five easy ways to get through life. The Bible isn't just something to make me feel good. The Bible is the word of God. And Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable to you. In verse 27 of Acts chapter 20, he says, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He did not shrink from saying to them anything that was profitable and everything that was profitable for them that was sufficient and valuable and useful and beneficial was found in the whole purpose of God, in the written word of God past few weeks, we've been looking at the magnitude of Scripture, the, the extreme magnitude of God's Word, the greatness of the Word of God. 
Well, let's get personal with that. Let's get personal with that. Where are you in regards to these truths about the Word of God? Where do you need to change your attitudes or, or your ways? Let me ask you some questions. And I want you to know these questions are coming from me. I am the one asking the questions, but they're pointed at me as well. How many of us memorize more stats about our favorite sports teams than we do verses in the Bible? Or, or chapters in the Bible? Or whole books of the Bible? Whew, that hurts. It hurts me. How many of us memorize more things about other things in life than we do about the living and abiding God-breathed Word of God? How many of us memorize more, more recipes or what people say about on Twitter than we do about what God says in His Word? How many open up ESPN.com or Facebook or your favorite website more than you open up the book that you say is your favorite book? The Bible, the Word of God. If, you, if your Bible is not brand new, but it's in mint condition, something's wrong. Something's wrong. How many spend more time watching and talking about lost than about sharing God's Word with the lost? How many flip on the TV for hours every single day but only crack our Bibles once a week? Bibles unused. TV, internet, sports get more of our time than the Word of God. We need to let it be resolved that we will go to the Word of God every single day for the fresh bread that God wants to give us every single day. The manna for our souls that God provides every single day. Secondly, let it be resolved that we will practice what the Word of God says. That we will practice what it says. That we will be engaged with the truth. Like Ezra, who set his heart not just to learn it, but to do it. To, to live it out. To practice it. To practice what he learned. To live what he learned. It's the experiential aspect of the word of God. Does not do us any good sitting in our head if it only stays there. It's got to get there first. It's got to get inside of us first. But then we've got to want to practice it. How does it change you? What difference does it make in your life? What difference does it make in your home? that you read the Word of God? What difference does it make in your place of employment that you read the Word of God? What difference does it make at your school that you know the Word of God? It fits and ties in with Matthew 5.19, keep the idea of doing, the idea of obedience. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus that we are being formed and transformed as we go to the Word of God, as we are, are engaged with the truth being formed more and more into the likeness of Christ. The Word of God forms the character of Christ in us, and then we are transformed by God's truth. 
No other writing does that. No other words do that. Now, while we might be helped and encouraged by other people's words about God, never let them overshadow the Bible's words which are from God. You have a study Bible? And there's notes in that study Bible? Those notes are not Scripture. Your study Bible notes, your favorite author, your favorite preacher should point you to Jesus and the Word of God, not themselves. Galatians 4.19, Paul talks about his children with whom he is in labor until Christ is formed in them. Romans 8 tells us that God is conforming believers to the image of Christ. But the word does not have the same effect on every person. The word of God does not have the same effect on all that hear it because it is not always mixed with faith in those who hear. Go with me to Matthew chapter 21. To that first Palm Sunday. Our calendars tell us that today is Palm Sunday. Well, let's go back to that first triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we know what Jesus was doing. They approached Jerusalem. They came to the Mount of Olives and Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said, go into the village and you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you, saying, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of them and they're going to give them to you. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Gentle and humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed, brought the donkey and the colt, laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. And most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. And crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting. Shouting. What were they shouting? They were shouting the word of God. They were shouting Psalm 118 verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing the word of God. Beautiful. Beautiful picture. But not all believed. Not all believed. They did not all believe, so it did not profit them all. Believers read and study the Bible to be informed and then transformed. And it plays out in our life. It is noticed. It is evident. It is a miracle. You think God still does miracles today? Just look around this place and see the lives that he has changed by his word. Look around this place and look at the lives that he has changed by his word. Look at your own life. And that should make us look with eyes of hope towards all that we think are hopeless because we were hopeless without Christ. But God has called all those who who come to faith in Christ to be born again by a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And sanctification, growth in Christ, salvation, spiritual growth, it's all a sovereign act of God's grace. We are to be, as 2 Peter 3.18 says, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Growing. And he is pleased when we delight in his word. He is pleased. And it brings us back to this idea of delight. That, that you listen to what you delight in. You listen to what you delight in. There are some things in our lives that we, that we delight in that we should never, ever expose ourselves to. But you become shaped by what you delight in. Let me talk to the men for a moment. Men, how can you lead your household spiritually if you are exposing yourself to lies and filth either on the internet or from some other source? Satan has some in a stranglehold There is a stronghold built in some people's lives. The door was left open. And unless you fight him with the word of God, which he cannot resist, Satan will clobber you. What are you trying to fight him with? Your own willpower? Jesus used the word of God. Jesus delighted in the word of God. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Satan came and tempted Jesus and he answered with the word of God. What we delight in is what we listen to and what we delight in is what we are shaped by. What we are delighting in is what we become like. Psalm 119, verse 16. The psalmist says, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I shall delight in your statutes. I won't forget your word. In Psalm 119, verse 35, he asks God, he says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. The Hebrew word for delight means just what you think it means. It means to find pleasure in something, to be pleased with it, to have an affection for it, to desire it, to choose it. The primary meaning is to feel a strong, positive attraction for something. It signifies subjective involvement with the objective word of God. Subjective involvement with the objective word of God. Delight means to like something very, very much. To like it a lot. And we're to have a subjective involvement with the objective word of God. Now we are rarely, if ever, truly objective, so this suits us very well. It is what we delight in that shapes us. So we come to the word of God in all our subjectivity and let it speak and change us objectively. Third and lastly, let it be resolved that we will teach God's word to other people. That we will teach God's word to others. Not simply take it for ourselves, not hoard it, 
but share it with others, starting in our own homes. The reason why I am so committed to families worshiping and learning and serving and reaching out together, that we, I am so concerned that we fulfill the great command of loving God and the great commission of making disciples in and through multiple generations is because that is how the faith is primarily passed on from parent to child, from household to household. It's a biblical model. So we are to explain the truth to other people, to pass it on to our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and our coworkers, to explain the truth. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a teacher. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about whatever you do in life, whatever you do, if you are full of the word of God, it is going to come out to benefit other people. To teach what it says and what it means and and how to live it out in daily life. You say, well, I'm not a missionary either. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're a missionary in your own home and in your workplace and in your classroom to bring the word of God to a needy, needy culture. Teaching for transformation means that we present the truth and allow God to do his work of transformation. We present the truth and then allow God to do the work of transforming, just like he does with us, and you let him do it in another person's life. Every generation gets its chance to change the world. Generativity, it's passing it on to others, aware that the knowledge of God is contagious. So infect others with the truth. Some people have a very nasty habit of sneezing without covering their mouths. It's one of my pet peeves because it goes 30 feet. But don't shut your mouth when it comes to speaking the word of God in your home, in your workplace, out in the community, in your neighborhood. At school, don't cover your mouth when God gives you the opportunity to speak a word of hope into another's life. It pleases God when we respond with delight to his living and written word. When we don't cave to the culture but live the Christian counterculture that Jesus expects us, intends for us to live, by setting our hearts to, to learn and to practice and to teach his word to others. There is great profit in the word of God. God rewards the person who pays attention to what he has to say. Proverbs 13 and verse 13 says this. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you you are pleased when we delight in your word. 
And Lord, we thank you that it pays to trust you. It doesn't pay us in money or status or recognition, but in blessing and growth and depth because we know you are pleased when we delight in listening and learning and living out your word. We thank you, Lord, that you bless us with understanding and depth and wisdom. We thank you, Lord. May our deepest, deepest desire and delight be to do your will as you reveal 